This is a download from Wireless Theatre Kids and is suitable for children aged 11 to 14 and suitable for children at Key Stage 3. <laughs> The Hand by Guy de Maupassant I first heard this story when I was about fourteen. We were on holiday camping in France. We had made friends with Isabel, a French girl who was also staying on the site, and every evening our two families would sit down together after dinner round the campfire. One night the conversation turned, as it so often does in the dark, with the backdrop of a flickering flame and the noises of the night to stories and experiences of strange, unexplained events. After much discussion of aliens, witches, and ghosts, Isabel's father took up a tale which had been told to him as a boy by his grandfather, a story which he assured us was true about something that had happened years ago in the tiny French village on the Mediterranean island of Corsica, where he had grown up. Corsica today is a beautiful island, very popular for holidays, but at the time this story took place, nearly two hundred years ago, it was a wild, lawless place. There was a terrible Corsican tradition known as vendetta, which compels a man who has been wronged to take his revenge on the man who has wronged him and on his descendants and relations. Corsican families had feuded for generations, hatreds lasted for hundreds of years, and murder and revenge were a way of life. The story begins when an Englishman came to live in the town. He had just rented a little villa at the far end of the bay, and had taken a lease for several years, obviously intending to stay. His only companion was a French manservant. Soon everybody in town was asking questions about their strange new neighbour who lived alone and never went out except to go hunting and fishing. He called himself Sir John Rowell, but he never spoke to anybody, never came into town, and every morning he would spend an hour or two in shooting practice with pistol and rifle. Stories and rumours about the Englishman began to spread throughout the island. Some people said he was a wealthy aristocrat in his home country, who had had to escape from England to protect his family's name and fortune. Others said he was a fugitive, in hiding because he had committed some dreadful crimes. They even supplied particularly lurid and horrible details about some of the terrible things he had done. But in truth, no one actually knew anything about him. However closely they watched, listened, and gossiped, no one could find out anything at all about his life before he had come to the village, let alone pin anything suspicious on him. But still the rumours grew worse and became more widespread, until one day Monsieur Bermutier, a local magistrate who was responsible for keeping law and order in the town, decided to investigate. One day, using the excuse of a hunting expedition, 
the magistrate ventured onto the Englishman's land near the villa in pursuit of the corpse of a bird he had shot. As he made his way through the woods, he came face to face with a big man with red hair and a red beard, Sir John Rowell, a giant of a man, tall and broad-shouldered, but with a calm, well-mannered bearing. As they talked, they found they had much in common, particularly a love of hunting, and to the magistrate's surprise he was invited into the garden to drink a glass of beer. This was the opportunity he had been waiting for to find out more about this strange and solitary man. As the evening progressed, and they talked of hunting, Sir John told Monsieur Bermutier stories of his travels in Africa, India, and America, tales about the hunting of hippos, tigers, elephants, and even gorillas. Those are all fearful brutes, the magistrate said. Oh, no, replied Sir John with a smile. The worst brute of all is man. Then, with a hearty laugh, he added, I've often hunted man, too. Seeing the magistrate's look of surprise, the Englishman began to talk about guns, and he invited Monsieur Bermutier into the house to see the various types of guns he had. His drawing-room was draped in black, black silk embroidered with big golden flowers, which were scattered over the sombre material, gleaming like flames. In the middle of the wall opposite the door was a square of red velvet which drew the magistrate's attention. He went up to it, then started back with horror as he realized what it was about the velvet that had attracted his attention. In the middle of the scarlet square was a hand, a human hand, not the hand of a skeleton all white and clean, but a black, withered hand, with yellow nails, exposed muscles, and with traces of congealed blood looking like dirt. The bones had been chopped off at about the middle of the forearm, as though they had been severed by an axe. An enormous iron chain was riveted and welded to the wrist of this filthy limb, and at the other end was attached to the wall by a ring strong enough to hold an elephant. As Bermutier gazed at the hand in astonishment, the Englishman calmly explained, "'That's my worst enemy. It came from America. It was chopped off with a sabre, skinned with a sharp bit of stone, and then dried in the sun for a week. And a damn good job it was, too.' Bermutier touched this human relic. It must have belonged to a man of gigantic size. The fingers, which were abnormally long, were held in place by enormous tendons which had fragments of skin still clinging to them. The hand, flayed like this, was a frightening thing to see. You couldn't help thinking that it was the result of some barbaric act of vengeance. He remarked, This man must have been very strong. The Englishman replied in a gentle voice, Oh, yes, but I was stronger than he was. I fixed that chain on his hand to prevent it from escaping. Thinking he must be joking, the magistrate remarked, "'That chain won't be much use now. The hand won't run away.' But Sir John Rowell replied in a very serious voice, "'It's always trying to get away. That chain is necessary.' His face kept its calm, kindly expression, and the conversation turned to other matters. But the magistrate couldn't help noticing, as he glanced around the room, that three loaded revolvers had been placed on various items of furniture, as if this man were living in constant fear of being attacked. One morning, several weeks after this visit, the magistrate was awoken with the news that Sir John Rowell had been murdered during the night.
Half an hour later, he was entering the Englishman's drawing room, along with the captain of the local police. The first thing he saw was the corpse lying on its back in the middle of the room. His waistcoat had been torn, a sleeve of his jacket had been ripped away, and everything pointed to the fact that a terrible struggle had taken place. The Englishman had been choked to death. His face was black and swollen, a terrifying sight, and the expression on it suggested that he had experienced the most appalling horror. There was something between his tightly clenched teeth, and in his neck, which was covered with blood, there were five puncture marks. They looked as though they had been made by fingers of iron. A doctor arrived. He spent a long time examining the imprints of the fingers in the flesh, and then came out with the strange remark, You'd think he'd been strangled by a skeleton. A shudder ran down the magistrate's spine, and immediately he looked at the place on the wall where he had previously seen the horrible flayed hand. It was no longer there. The broken chain was hanging down. Then he bent over the corpse. In his twisted mouth he found one of the fingers of the missing hand. It had been cut off, or rather sawn off, by the dead man's teeth exactly at the second joint. They got on with their investigations, but they could discover nothing. No door or window had been forced, nothing had been broken into. His two guard dogs had not even wakened. Very briefly, this is the statement made by the servant. He said that for the past month his master had seemed very upset. He had received a lot of letters which he had burned as soon as they arrived. Often he had picked up a horsewhip, and in a display of anger which bordered on insanity he had furiously beaten that withered hand which had been riveted to the wall and which had somehow or other disappeared at the very hour the crime was committed. Sir John used to go to bed very late, and he would carefully lock all the doors and windows. He always kept firearms within easy reach. Often, at night, he had been heard talking in a loud voice as though he were quarrelling with someone. On that particular night, as it happens, he had not made a sound, and it was only when he came to the open windows the next morning that the servant had found Sir John lying there murdered. There was nobody the servant could think of as a suspect. I told the magistrates and the police officers everything I knew about the dead man, and the most detailed inquiries were made over the whole island. Nothing was discovered. Now, one night, three months after the murder, I had a dreadful nightmare. I thought I saw the hand, the horrible hand, running like a scorpion or a spider all over the curtains and walls of my room. Three times I woke up. Three times I fell asleep again. Three times I saw that hideous human relic crawling rapidly round my bedroom, using its fingers as a creature uses its legs. In the morning, this hand was brought to me. They found it in the cemetery, lying on Sir John's grave. He had been buried on the island because they had not been able to trace his family. The hand had the index finger missing.
Heritage Bank, we're working to strengthen communities by helping businesses stay in business. See how we can help yours. Visit heritagebanknw.com slash all of us or click the ad to learn more. Member FDIC.